0: Hi, this is Malia Hoffman. I'm here with Fred Ramirez. And you're listening to the Carrero Podcast. Today our, guest- today our guest is Romero Halomo. Romero is the Vice President of Student Affairs at Hartnell College. He has served in this capacity for over nine years. Hartnell College is located in Salinas, California, and serves approximately 14,000 students in the Salinas Valley. Hello, Romero. Thanks for joining us today. You have spent several years in administration. Can you explain to us what drew you to this field?
1: Um- You know, when I moved into administration about 22 years ago, uh, I was coming from working as a faculty member, both adjunct and full-time for about nine years, Uh, primarily in four-year universities, large universities, uh, Arizona State, which is a large public university, and at NYU, where I was full-time, large private uh, university. Uh, I had been a faculty member and I had, it seemed like it was a logical progression. I had started my career early on as a uh, classified staff member working at Cal State Dominguez Hills. I was in charge of early outreach, working with middle school students in South Central LA, trying to uh, get them to think about going to college, seeing themselves. We used this notion of anticipatory socialization, having them see themselves as college students. And so we did workshops with them throughout the year and at the culminating experience for them in the spring was to bring them on to the Cal State Dominguez Hills campus and, and walk through the campus and simulate a day at college where we, yeah. they sat in a, a class and they met with the advisor and so forth. So I, I started my career that way uh, back in the late 80s and then into the 90s. Uh, I moved to, uh, Arizona where I, uh, pursued my doctorate at Arizona state, uh, based on my past coursework, I was able to land summer jobs, teaching, uh, math, uh, at a local, one of the local high schools at the Phoenix union high school district, and then, uh, became a research assistant and then started teaching, uh, to pay the bills Mm -hmm. and then, uh, became a faculty member as soon as I graduated, uh. And so then the logical progression then after being away from California for about nine years, a little over nine years, I was looking forward to coming back. And uh, my ticket back was as an administrator in California community colleges where I had conducted so much of my research when I was uh, a doctoral student.
0: Wow. wow, that's incredible.
2: <laughs> it's like you've done everything. Mm-hmm. You've been everywhere.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> yes. over the place. Um,
2: were you working in admin during COVID? And if so, what were your biggest challenges and the biggest changes that you've seen so far?
1: Yes, I was uh, working as an administrator during the whole COVID pandemic. One of the biggest challenges, unfortunately, for Hartnell College was that uh, we were not we had not already adapted well to online learning. Mm. At the time, about 10 to 11% of our course offerings were offered online in the spring of uh, 2020. Wow, that's not very many. Uh, That was very Mm -hmm. low compared to other neighboring community colleges like Foothill De Anza, which is in the Bay Area, just north of us. A lot of the San Jose community colleges were about 25%. We were only at 10 to 11 percent. And so uh, that was a big challenge for us to offer uh, instruction that way. And at the same time, we were not we were were not very good at offering online services. We had some experience with that because the Hartnell Community College District is um, 110 miles long. It's from the, what wow. we call the Pajaro Bridge, which divides Watsonville from uh, Castroville all the way south to uh, Fort, uh, oh, actually, yeah, Camp Roberts in the city of Bradley. So we're along the 101 corridor. We're the Salinas Valley corridor. So if you want to get a flavor for that, it's quite long. And uh, if you want to get a flavor, all you need to do is read uh, Steinbeck's book on uh, the Grapes of Wrath yeah. mm-hmm. East of Eden this is Steinbeck country John Steinbeck is a favorite son of Salinas he grew up in Salinas actually his home his childhood home is about four blocks south of our uh, campus
2: wow and
1: so when you think about that and then you fast forward to the uh, late 60s early 70s the, the lettuce boycotts led by Cesar Chavez yeah uh, this this was a big area for that in history. So a lot of our students uh, are, these communities were formerly rural, now growing to be somewhat more suburban. And so Hartnell College services this large corridor. And so at the time of the pandemic, we only had, uh, we had the main campus in Salinas, our career technical education, Uh, campus, which is in East Salinas, about four miles from the main campus, and then a branch campus in King City, which was 50 miles away, 55 miles away south. And so you would think that we would have a better delivery system for online. Uh, We didn't. Hmm. And so the COVID uh, pandemic caught us uh, in a very precarious situation. So what we had to do as being an administrator, for us, when the mandate came down for us to uh, work remotely, that occurred during our spring break. Mm. Uh, For us, it was on March 13th, 2020. Mm -hmm. So what we knew is on spring break, we didn't have any classes, but we had to find a way during spring break to get our faculty at least trained with some kind of, (laughs) some semblance of, of training to learn how to use Canvas and oh, wow. other kinds of assessment tools at, to, and grading options to be able to teach online. And,
0: and to do that a in, a <laughs> in, in a week.
1: In a week, right? And during spring break. Yeah, right. During spring so, break, when
0: people probably uh, had plans,
2: right? Or were not in town.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, they weren't in town. We had to do it remotely oh. because we could come to campus to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And remember, um, there's still a large number of our faculty... Who, when you teach in a community college, the minimum qualification is having a master's in the discipline you're going to teach. In. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a credential to teach right. mm-hmm. like you do in the K-12 system. right? right you got yeah. elementary, middle school, and high school teachers who have to complete a credential program. You don't need that here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you could get by without it face-to-face, what makes it truly difficult is being able to do that online. So mm-hmm. a lot, not a lot of uh, our faculty had went through graduate programs at the university level to learn how to teach online. Right. And to, with a compacted schedule, that was very challenging for mm-hmm. us. And in my division, I'm in the division of student affairs, I'm the vice president. And so I had to ensure all our counselors mm-hmm. were able to do that. We teach student development courses. We Council and to be able to do that online we had a we had a really turn on a dime yeah so and big would, challenge
2: yeah would you say now like that was your challenge do you think that that's kind of the biggest change you guys continue to use you know technology and keep using all the resources and everything you used before like canvas and everything or did you go back to the old way of no no, no technology no, we're using
1: we're using canvas now yeah. even if you teach face-to-face right yeah so one of the challenges for us that occurred, a second challenge that occurred is, um, which, which makes us different than the CSU or the UC, is this notion of local governing boards. So we have 72 dist- seventy-two districts throughout the, throughout California, 72 community college districts, each of them have their local governing board. Mm. So think of community colleges more like a confederation, not like a system.
2: Right.
1: Right. You have for CSU, they have their system office there in Long Beach. For the UC, they have the office of the president up in Oakland. For us, we have a systems office in uh, Sacramento, but our chancellor is the state chancellor, but they don't have the authority necessarily that a local superintendent president has or a chancellor of a community college district because we have 72 elected boards. These are folks are politicians, right? So they're elected to a four-year term on these 72 boards of trustees for these districts. In our our local board during the pandemic was monitoring how we were making the transition to online learning. Mm -hmm. But within about a year, they were asking for folks to come back and they wanted us to limit, sounds strange, but they wanted us to limit online offerings, both instructional and student services offerings to no more than 25% and keep 75% face to oh. face. But they're policymakers, and that may be their desire but the reality, as we sent out surveys to employees, surveys to students, was no stop. We want to do online. We don't feel safe. Right. Right. And so, how, as an administrator, do you do you mitigate that? And so, uh, slowly but surely, uh, we started teaching more courses online than the twenty five percent threshold. I think uh, that fall of twenty. So we wanted. So we went to the pandemic March of 2020. By spring of 21, we came back and started, uh, we were still online. And then it was the fall of 21 that we started having online courses and online services once again. And at that point, we were about 35% online, 65% Mm face-to-face. Believe it or not, this semester, we're more 50-50. All right. Only because what we've learned, students will walk, they'll go elsewhere and they'll sign up for online courses at a neighboring district or at another district. They'll uh, they'll march with their feet and find uh, an environment that's conducive to their needs. Absolutely. And what they're telling us is that they want online services and they want online courses.
0: Is the board receptive to that change now or that request?
1: They are starting to understand that, mm-hmm. and the way that they're starting to understand that it's hit it's hitting our pocket because we're losing enrollment. yeah, our enrollment is down. We suffered about a ten percent decline in enrollment mm-hmm. because that's pretty big. Our neighboring community colleges, there's one in monterey where uh, Hartnell College is located in Salinas and and the, the the Salinas Valley, and so that's Monterey County. Then on the coast, you have Monterey Peninsula College. that's Monterey, Carmel, some of the other neighboring peninsula cities, That's it. they do a lot more online education. So does uh, Cabrillo College in Santa Cruz and uh, Gavilan College in Gilroy. So either we're going to get with the programs and learn how to offer more online services and, and offer more online courses, or we're going to feel the pain of seeing enrollment continue to decline. Yep. I, I personally feel we're never going to go back. That's we should, as a matter of fact i feel that public community public community colleges in california have way have been behind the curve for many years industry has been doing online uh, online work remote work for many years and it makes sense here because the bay area is so expensive to live in mm-hmm. we have folks that live in our community that actually work in silicon valley from san jose up to cupertino points north even San Mateo, where they telecommute and only have to go in the office maybe once a week. Yep.
2: It is. And it's it's funny to listen like community college, you know, versus I'm in elementary, so I'm an elementary school teacher, to see you guys are losing enrollment because you won't go online, where we lose enrollment because we weren't going back in person, because it's, you know, the child care aspect there. Yes. But it's this like the similar thing between the two is the fact that We went into a pandemic, and no one knew how to use technology. That's right. And so, like, that was our big thing, right? Like, every elementary – they stopped elementary schools, like, March – okay, just don't finish off the year. We don't know how to get these kids computers. No one knows how to sign on and get Google Classroom. So it's just – that's what it did. It changed, you know, the use of technology, I think,
1: for everyone in the world. So, Yeah, and shame on us, right? We're Californians, and right – I got 50, 60 miles north of me is uh, in San Jose and less than 100 miles, about 90 miles away is San Francisco. How yeah. can we be that far behind? Yeah. But I, I don't think I, I, you know, I don't say it's it, it's the, I think it's more of our industry as right. education, as educators. Yeah. That we should be using more technology, both in the classroom and in the service delivery. Right. Part of 21st century
0: college. skills, man. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's a a missing opportunity that we as a, I mean, as a whole in education are, are missing coming out of the pandemic? And I know you've kind of hinted on like, we can't go back to what we used to do, but do you think that maybe educationally we are trying and we're missing an opportunity?
1: Yes, I really do think that. And here's where I think folks in your sector can help. Especially the folks at the university level, we need to incorporate, we need to infuse more courses and maybe even in the credential programs, uh, how to teach and for counselors, how to provide counseling services remotely. Mm. What a good best practice. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think that's most needed. I don't know uh, when I was a faculty member. We talked about about student learning outcomes. We talked about course outlines. We talked about assessment. But what I'm thinking about is, uh, it may not look the same online. It may be a whole different rubric, right? It may be a whole different way of looking at pedagogy. But one thing that I've noticed on the non-instructional side is during our pandemic, we have suffered an epidemic mental health issues and they're still going Mm -hmm. and they're still going I can only tell you that how much time I devote in my job today to uh apply for grants for basic needs Mm. or mental health services uh this really this pandemic shed a lot of light on the um what well, I'll say, the out-of-class experiences of our students. Yep. It really shed light about the haves and the have-nots, especially when I talk about issues of um, digital literacy, um, access to standardized technology. We found out how many kids don't have a laptop. Yeah. So we started a laptop loaner program, and then we uh, found out how many kids, especially in the rural part of our district, points further south, when you get some of these small towns like uh, Greenfield, King City, San Ardo, San Lucas, these were were communities that began 100, 150 years ago. Uh, Some of these areas were uh, uh, very small and have now grown, but the technology has not grown or developed along with the housing. So the connectivity is poor, uh, internet capability is poor. So we need to enhance that. We need to. Uh, we we need, we we have a lot of work to do as a yeah. result of this pandemic. When it when you look at the haves and the have-nots.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've um, and I my doctorate is in learning technology. So this you know like I was I, I guess a little bit ahead of my time getting that. Yes. Um, connecting it to the pandemic but we've talked in my program and my coursework that uh technology connection internet is should be a utility right it should be yes um, it should be provided especially with how much we depend on it in education and you know school is a requirement for kids so right. um, if you don't have running water in your in your home like there are assistant programs for that if you don't have internet in your home and a good internet connection to be connected to school, like there, there needs to be more help. I mean, I know that there are some, but there needs to be more help and assistance for that because that definitely creates more of a a gap between, like you said, the haves and the have nots. Um, and then it, it puts a gap in between education between, um, you know, like kids just having access to equitable education.
1: Yeah. Especially in in our service area, as I mentioned earlier, this is the land that Steinbeck wrote about in the Grapes of Wrath. This is the Salinas Valley. We're known as the salad bowl of the world. We at Hartnell College enroll uh, approximately 72, 73% of our students are Latinos. 56% are still first in their family to come to college. 85% are considered by California Community College guidelines as low income or qualify for the federal Pell grant program. We have an undocumented student program we call MIGASA that has 800 students enrolled that are undocumented. These are children of farm workers. Mm-hmm. And it's not uncommon because some of our programs like our high school equivalency program that helps uh, students earn a GED and then help to transition them into community college where students come in bringing their uh their family's W-2 form and you see incomes of about thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars a yeah. year to work as a farm worker
0: yeah and how do you live on that, so that in so California that's crazy right that's awesome. yeah like, yeah. how does a family live on that in California?
1: How does a family live how on that? does one person Let alone live on yeah. a sign up for DirecTV yeah. or, yes. or for Infinity, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That is crazy. Um, why education? So, why have you chosen education as a field to dedicate your life to?
1: My field of education was inspired uh, probably during the time that I was a college student. Uh, my undergraduate is at uh, Chico State, and uh, around that time when I was uh, going through my undergrad, uh, f- Fred and I have a a, uh, a cousin. Uh, her name was Juanita Flores, and she was a Dominican sister, hmm. and she worked. Uh, she had to join the order because um, she really enjoyed education she wanted to go to college she wanted to earn a college degree and so the only way that she could do that at that time she was a generation ahead of us she was our our mother's uh first cousin. uh the only way she could do that is leave home and join an order so that when she became a catholic nun she was able then to pursue her baccalaureate degree her master's degree and she's a she uh, held a doctorate from the University of Michigan. Wow. She was an educational administrator. Wow. She so really loved and aspired to be. And I think if you interviewed Fred, he probably would mention her name also. She was she was a leader for us. She was like, in, in our parents' generation, the only one that I knew of that went to college and earned a degree and uh so she she was both a teacher and a principal in Catholic schools, and she was an inspiration to me, especially attending uh, the University of Michigan and earning her doctoral degree. And I think she she uh, graduated around eighty two, eighty four from University of Michigan, and uh, she was just an inspiration. So I I saw myself, you know, she got into education administration and. Uh, And so my undergraduate degree is not in education. It's in computer information systems. I actually had a different, started my career differently, working in the computer industry, only to leave it (laughs) when it started growing. And then I went into uh, uh, administration. My master's degree is in public administration from uh, CSU Dominguez Hills. And that there is where I met up with a gentleman. His name was Leonard Porreo. And, and this man I saw on campus, and I recognized him. He was the head of a summer program when my brother and I were kids, teenagers. That uh, it was like a service learning program. You work with the program, you got paid—I don't know what minimum wage—but uh, you help uh, build uh, park You help build like uh, stands and baseball in our base in the uh, baseball diamonds in the local parks. And uh, you cleaned up around the uh, the 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 city, and uh, he he was really into community service and uh, and we got to clean up our our neighborhoods and hey, you spent summer doing that and had fun, you met others. And so fast forward many years later, I'm in my master's program uh, at the School of Management at Cal State Dominguez Hills, and I find out this man, Works there, and he runs uh, the outreach services department mm. uh, for Cal State Dominguez Hills. And so he a- he offered me a job working uh, in what they called at the time early outreach, working with middle school kids. That's and cool. that's how I got started, and that's where my journey began. I switched over to uh, education.
0: Oh, okay. Do you have a a good memorable uh, student success story that you care to share?
1: A good memorable student success story. Yes, and it comes most recently. Uh, There's a student that we have uh, who had just graduated. She was our uh, Associated Student Body President and she also held the title of, she was elected to be our student trustee on our governing board. Her name is Jane Sanchez Hernandez. Jane is actually from the Coachella Valley, originally. She is the daughter of farm workers. And because so many farm workers switch between Yuma, Imperial Valley, Coachella Valley, and Salinas based on the crops that are growing at the time, Jane made her way up this way uh, with her family. Uh, Jane is an older student uh, in the sense that she's not necessarily traditionally. She just falls out of that. She's maybe about 25 years old right now. And uh, she was about 24 when she started community college, a child of a farm worker family. Uh, and she has had a lot of challenges in her life, both uh, personal and physical. And uh, But she has persisted despite uh, being a migrant student, but besides being an immigrant student uh, and a first-generation college student, she just recently graduated uh, with a a 4.0 GPA, uh, was accepted to Stanford University. She earned the Jack Kent Cook uh, Award, which would give her $125,000 one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars for the next four years. That's wow. incredible. To uh, pursue her education,
2: good.
1: Uh, she's transferred from Hartnell now to uh, Stanford University. Uh, sh- during her time there, but she was so good at her studies. Uh, she was a, She utilized many of our support systems uh, the college has to offer. She was a member of our. Student support services program, which we call Trio. She was a Trio student. She was also the ASB president. Uh, she was the head of our student government, uh, and also she helped to, as a student, direct our food pantry. That's and so right. we have a food pantry. We had we have a partnership with Catholic Charities and the Monterey County Food Bank. So every other Friday, we set up. Uh, stand in the first floor of the of the parking structure there, student parking structure, whereby it's a drive-through. So everyone's worried about COVID and contact. Where they're handing out baskets of uh, or bags of food for students, and every single time we do it, we sell out. Mm-hmm. The lines are longer than the food we have to offer. Oh, so yeah. I see firsthand what this pandemic has done to people.
2: Yeah,
1: and uh, many are appreciative of the work that Jane has provided. And uh, when you talk about giving back, I can't think of a better example, a better exemplar than Jane Sanchez Hernandez, a migrant student who was formerly undocumented, now a U.S. citizen, uh, who is now a Stanford University transfer student. Stanford doesn't take a lot of transfer students. Mm-hmm. And they, they like to take their students who come into Stanford four years, right out of high school. Uh, But Jane uh, made it through community college and did very well here. She received a lot of support. And that, what I I like about her story is that with the right kind of supports, our students can succeed. She did it during the pandemic. And so uh, that's what I believe community colleges can be about if we provide the necessary support.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like she had a lot of tenacity to want to not only just improve her personal condition, but like also give back to the community and all others. Like she, didn't just take and move on, but she took and she continued to give back along the way, which Mm -hmm. is like super inspiring. And I'm getting goosebumps just just, like repeating (laughs) what I heard from you. Like, it's just, it's really inspiring. And it's, um, it's nice to know like that, you know, with the right supports and with the, you know, like investment in like your efforts that, that people can succeed and then, you know, give back and hopefully inspire more stories like
1: this. No, absolutely. You know, uh, we talk a lot uh, in my division about the need to validate students, right? They come to us with varying life experiences. What we know in community colleges, we're all about taking students from wherever they're at and helping them to get to go where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's important to affirm their life experience. Yeah. It's, it's It's important to validate them as learners, fide college learners, and that they can do it. You know, the whole si se puede movement. Yeah. But when you have a student like Jane, and if you call it grit, or you call it ganas, or you call it just, you know, just rolling your hand, sleeves up and, and getting to it, uh, they, in a way, her success, I believe, affirms what we do. In a way, it's kind of like a validation for us yeah. that, you know, to see this, this woman, come from the Coachella Valley, a migrant student, settle in uh, Salinas long enough to get what she needs from Hartnell College to pass her on to the next level, Stanford mm-hmm. University. So I'm very pleased and I, I, it's very touching to me because I know Jane very well and I've worked with her closely and uh, it's it's really a success story.
2: Yep. Yeah, it is, that's awesome. And if you, if you had a magic wand and you could fix anything in education, what would it be?
1: Wow. That's a, (laughs) that's a very good question. Oh boy. I would, wow. What would I, what would I do? Well, at this level, at, at community colleges, I would say it would have to be the funding mechanism. Yeah because we try so hard to do what we can. But if you, in the state of California, it's a known fact, you get accepted out of high school into UC, the UC receives on average no less than $30,000 for that student to attend on a yearly basis. Based on the fact that they're the research universities, they do all the research, top-notch, they provide the medical doctors and the lawyers to the state publicly if you are a csu student and you get enrolled full-time right out of high school into a csu and there's many to choose from right over 20. you'll receive on average about 15 to 16 thousand dollars per year for that student to provide instruction services or what have you but even though california has now 116 community colleges our students only receive on average uh, $5,100 per student enrolled full-time. The difference between what we receive for that student versus what a UC student receives is six times difference. Yet I would say, I would argue that that student is more prepared that gets accepted to UC, has more, um, what's a good word? cultural capital, I would say, cultural capital to understand and navigate how college works Mm -hmm. so they can make it work for themselves at the UC level. Whereas at the community college level, we're taking the folks that didn't get into UC or CSU or may have just only recently thought about attending college. But those folks are only gonna get $5,100 on average from the state to attend college. What I mean by that is we're receiving less per student. So our the amount of funding we get from the state is less than what we would get if we were UC or CSU. But they require, but require more resources. Those folks yeah. into college, level, yep. uh, mm-hmm. college uh, level students who can succeed and transfer at the next level. Yeah. And that's sometimes a challenge.
2: Yeah.
1: So I would change. So if I had the magic wand, <laughs> I would change the model by which we fund post-secondary education in California, Mm -hmm. especially since our state chancellor changed the funding mechanism three years ago. We have what he calls a student completion agenda. So no longer are we getting funded by how many students are sitting in the classroom on census day, which is always the third Monday of any semester, we've changed it to outcomes-based. Many in community colleges have been saying, hey, wait a minute, especially our our, our faculty, you're gonna grade us, you're gonna fund us based on student outcomes? That's a big challenge for community colleges because it's a known fact. Some of our critics say, we're like Quicksand. You come in and you never get out. Or if you do transfer, you're transferring with like Uh, you you accumulate 90 units, but you can only use 60 and they're not all used properly along the pathway to get your degree.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. That's a good argument. That's a, I don't deny that. But if that were the case, then wouldn't you provide additional funding to help us get along that way so that we have enough counselors to work with these students that we develop uh, academic pathways so that students can get on the pathway, stay on the pathway and move forward without having to accumulate unnecessary units. I think the biggest help over the past five years has been Assembly Bill 705, which has to do with uh, removing remediation from community college uh, education. So there used to be a time... Where, where Hartnell would offer three levels below English 1A. English 1A at Hartnell is the same as English 1A at Cal State Fullerton, same as English 1A at UC Berkeley, right? But that's what colleges expect students to be at when they graduate from high school.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: we all know the kids that come to community colleges, even though they graduate from their local high school, may not be academically ready. Right. Offering... Uh, English 253, English 101, before you get to English 1A means that a student has to spend a whole year before they get to that English 1A class, which they should have been taken in their first semester. They have to at UCLA. They have to at Cal State Fullerton. And so what was happening, what we found in our own research study is that most students at Hartnell College over five or 10 year period uh, up through 2016, were taking approximately 90 units before they transferred. Wow. But the CSU only accept 60 max. Mm. So that, yeah. that that means that they were spending 30 units on coursework that doesn't count. Right. And if you figure most students at community colleges take between 12 to 15 units if they're a full-time equivalent, means they're spending an extra year there when they didn't have to. So the, the belief was at that time you need to really know the fundamentals in English 253, which was two levels below transfer English. Then you move up to English 101, which is one level below English 1A. And then you pass that, then you get to English 1A. But when they did that in the English track, when they did that in the math track, when they did that in the ESL track, kids were just piling up units that were never gonna count when you transfer. And so through Assembly Bill 705, They got, we don't do a remediation anymore. We we don't even administer uh, local placement tests. Now it's all self-placement or uh, they meet with a counselor here and then we recommend uh, what kind of support the student would need to be successful in English 1. Where our colleagues, where our faculty helped us is they started designing two types of English 1A courses. English 1A, the traditional three-unit courses that is UC and CSU transferable, and the English 1AX, which is a four-unit course with built-in academic supports, which include uh, supplemental instruction, peer-led team learning, a visit uh, or appointments with the tutorial center, other kinds of uh, services. And so in that four-unit course, we were able to get it accepted to CSU. CSU will pick up three of the four units, but it's okay. still a transferable course.
2: Good.
1: And so uh, we, we're out of now of the remedial business, but providing the supports embedded within the course and outside of co- co-requisites, if you will.
0: Jeez. Okay, well, that sounds like a big feat to try to... <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> that's a I'm big sorry, lot. let me go on because that's nice, a lot But of nice
0: work towards a, a solution, so yeah. that's, that's real good. Uh, so in admin, um, and maybe because you're in student services, so maybe you're not doing a lot of mentoring of new new teachers, but what are some um, ways that you provide mentoring to students or in your role as an administrator in student, student services?
1: So one of our popular programs in student services is what we call the Salinas Valley Promise. It's much like uh, other Promise programs maybe you've heard of, like the Long Beach Promise. Uh, The Salinas Valley Promise says that if you're a graduate of any high school in California, because now we're in this era post-COVID, right? With online learning, you can come to Hartnell College and live in San Diego, take your courses online, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a graduate of any high school in California, and you enroll at Hartnell College and you agree to come full time, which for us is only a minimum of twelve units, uh, we will. Uh, you can enroll in the Salinas Valley Promise. We will either give you a laptop, not as a loaner for to keep, oh, wow. or a three hundred and fifty dollar voucher to use at the bookstore. Either or. Wow. That's great. You will work with a peer mentor. You will work with a peer mentor, be assigned a peer mentor in your first year. You will have a a faculty or industry mentor in your second year. Uh, You will go through leadership workshops quarterly. So we'll provide workshops for folks uh, both via zoom and in person to uh, learn about student success and leadership. And so uh, that is a, a mentoring program that also features a community of practice. The community of practice is for the faculty. We, we uh, provide stipends, <clears throat> excuse me, to faculty who want to uh, come together, meet, uh, meet, I think they meet uh, once a month, and attend meetings as a community of practice to share their insights in the courses with these Salinas Valley Promise students to identify what practices work. You know? And so this community of practice looks at uh, things like uh, experiential learning, uh, validating students, uh, different types of pedagogy that maybe work with the students. Uh, remember, as I said earlier, 56% of all Hartnell College students are still first in their family to go to college. Right. This is 2022. This is not 1982. (laughs) It's shocking to students, to people. Mm -hmm, 2022, you mean 56% of your students are still first in their family? Mm -hmm. What you're saying, Romero, is that their parents never went to college. Mm -hmm,
2: mm
1: -hmm. Oh, you wouldn't expect it when so many farm-working uh, student, children of farm workers are coming here. We have a large undocumented student population, uh, a large, very large, low income population. 85% qualify for Pell or the California governor's fee waiver. So yes, it's not uncommon. So we, we need to incentivize for our faculty a community of practice where folks can come together and share best practices with students. And so we find that helpful. We also require in the Salinas Valley Promise that every student in their first year, not necessarily the first semester, could be the second semester, complete a student success course, mm-hmm. which, we cal- which we call Counseling One. It's called becoming a, a master student, becoming a, a successful uh, college student. And what are those techniques, since we have so many first gen students, uh, they need to know, what the capital is, right? What is a cultural capital to become a, a successful student in college? And so uh, we find that very uh, very favorable outcomes from, from uh, completing that class successfully.
2: That's awesome. Great. Well, Romero, we'd like to ask our guests at the end for their call to action. So what would you say your call to action is?
1: Our call to action is to adapt to what our students need. Yeah. For so long it, I'm not going to call it higher education anymore. I'm going to call it post-secondary education Mm. for too long. We have established post-secondary education, uh, as what it should be and the way students should behave and how they should be prepared. No doubt. That's very important. Yeah but it tends to neglect and not acknowledge where students truly are. Mm -hmm. And we will continue to have inequities in society. We will continue to have low-income students. We will continue to have first-gen students. But how we engage them prior to coming to college, how we onboard them into college, how we make them feel welcome and how we support them while they are in college remains a top priority for us faculty and uh, practitioners, counselors, administrators, that all of us together need to continue to learn more about our students. We no one ever thought that this pandemic Come out the way it did. It, it caught a lot of people by surprise. Mm-hmm. It has lingered longer than most have thought. But uh, we have new challenges, right? So when you have a pandemic like this, it's also, as I mentioned earlier, it's had us think about technological inequalities. It's uh, it's also have us had us think about the mental health of students and our own mental health our own mental health because we're also coming back right or we're working from home yep uh that's a different that's a whole different game and i think that that's uh i may, i feel it makes it exciting i look forward to these challenges i think we are capable to uh, overcome these challenges but at the same time uh we always have to keep em- empathy and the student at the center of our conversations if we do that the kind of solutions that we derive would make it much more uh, connective to our student experience.
0: Yeah, just remembering that we're dealing with people, right? Anytime mm-hmm. we make a policy, the policy is not meant to be just black and white, but it's meant to guide people. And people sometimes don't fit these black and white situations. So yeah. I really like right. I really like hearing what you had to say. Thank you so much, Romero, for your time today. And thanks for your your passion and your work with your students. And um, you're truly making an impact. And I just love hearing your stories. So thank you.
1: It's been a pleasure being with both of you this morning. Thank you. So thank you and good luck.